We're excited to announce that our very own podcasting platform, Zencaster, has become a new sponsor to the show. Check out the podcast discount link in our show notes and stay tuned for why we love using Zen for the podcast. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. You're listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. Welcome to another episode of Archaeo Animals. This episode, we will be talking about exotic species in the archaeological record. As always, I'm Alex Patrick, and with me, Simona Falanga. Okay, so this started as an exotic species in the archaeological record episode. But fair warning, it very swiftly became kind of an exotic pets episode. Yeah, sort of very little bone evidence and a very anecdotal in some like interesting things in the written record. We're talking about exotic species. We're kind of referring to, you know, species that aren't native to the region or animals that are not often found in specific contexts. So, you know, a wild animal that you would find in a domestic context. But the problem is that I guess that kind of got muddled in a way where the best examples I could find were like pets, <laughs> which I guess yeah. makes sense, you know? Well, it, it would do because I guess it, wild animal, because we've covered it in earlier episodes, but a wild animal in domestic context, because depending on what evidence you find on it in terms of a butchery and pathology, like it may well be an animal that was hunted and consumed for food. Yeah, and I guess the word exotic in general is a very subjective word. We did an episode, a couple episodes back, on invasive species and kind of there's that dichotomy of invasive species versus, you know, non-invasive species and exotic is a bit more flexible, I guess. Yeah, because I guess in general just be a, a non-native species, but I guess the term exotic makes you think it's just from like really far away. yeah. Which was like an issue that I that I realized when I was doing the research for this. But to be fair, also exotic pets are probably more fun to talk about. Anyway, fun slash infuriating. It's fun. This is going to be a fun, infuriating episode for many people, ourselves included. And I guess it's probably because not, things never change since you know ex- exotic imports still happen today i think that's like the the pet trade is the largest contributor to modern day invasive species which is wild and they're i believe they're all in florida because those are those are the ones that i always think about i'll take your word for it but i mean well we do see that i think we discussed it in the invasive species episodes that a lot for example in britain a lot of the invasive species were just the victorians bringing things because reasons oh that's an interesting looking squirrel we'll bring it over Oh, right. Whoopsies. Oh, you know, mutton jack, Chinese water deer, wallaby, just, yeah, insert animal here. 
in some ways, we kind of covered some of this in our previous episode. But I guess just kind of like a, a, a quick example. So like we were saying, like rabbits that were brought to Britain by the Romans, which is based on a tibia fragment that was found at Fishbourne Roman Palace. And if uh, anyone from Fishbourne Roman Palace is listening, please give me a postdoc. I know you're offering one soon. But yeah, it was found by Faye Worley and uh, it had no butchery marks. So as you were saying, you know, a lack of butchery marks, lack of consumption, consumption evidence. It's probably some kind of pet thing. It was or kept in confinement. And rabbits were native to Spain and Portugal. So they were probably brought over and kept as a pet for the wealthy inhabitants of Fishbourne. The famous Iberian hare, as the Romans refer to it. Do they? They just say you have hairs, and this is the Iberian <laughs> hair. <laughs> it's very fancy. I mean, we discussed it in the rabbit episode. I mean, the, the genus Lagomorph is literally hair-shaped. <laughs> I always forget about so, that. So a hair-shaped thing, but smaller. Rabbit. Science is a, really a joke, isn't it? <laughs> it's really just... Oh, God. What, what does it say about us? I mean, yeah. It says that we've been the same for a very long time, for what I understand from it. But in a way, that that's well, that's what I like about archaeology. I mean, not in terms of keeping exotic pets in, in small cages, no, not, not that bit, but just seeing that continuity of how humans are basically the same, no matter where, which time period or where in the world you go, is pretty much the same thing over and over again. Yeah, I think we've talked about this in previous episodes. It's like the idea of finding and i guess it's perfect for this episode because the idea of like oh this is an exotic animal found in this zoarchaeological record under what it means was it traded whatever was it like kept as a pet was it something religious or whatever fertility ritual fertility rituals up and down there's like also a really good chance of someone who's like this is cool yeah just like oh that looks quite cool i'm gonna keep it yeah i'm looking at my desk right now and it's full of crap that i've like picked up I mean, I guess another example of, say, exotic animals in the archaeological record, I mean, more like the written record, but according to Plautus, a Roman writer, there's evidence uh, for monkeys being kept as pets in Italy as early as the 3rd century BC. Actually, I've got a funny anecdote on it, actually. There's written records of this man from Ephesus called Periplectomenos. He was quite irate, and he was asking anyone seen climbing his roof to be removed from the premises, and that he would absolutely not accept I'm after my monkey as an excuse. I mean, who among us hasn't climbed someone's roof and then used the excuse, I'm after my monkey? It's like the dog ate my homework. No, I was looking, after, I was looking for my monkey. Again, things literally never change. <laughs> it's just the same stuff over and over again. People, humans will human. I do want to know the backstory behind that one. If anyone uh, listening here do knows about the, the woes of Periplectomenos, please let us know. If you're friends with Periplectomenos, if you personally know Periplectomenos, please contact us. We would love to know more. But yeah, I, I love stuff like that. Like it, To go on a bit of a tangent, it's, it, it is like my favorite thing about archaeology in general is finding the little like... It, it almost sounds demeaning to say the little human things, but it's kind of what it is. You know, it's not just about, you know, the, this is the subs, subsistence pattern for this set of people over thousands of years. It's sometimes it's just like, yeah, someone just dropped something here. 
Well, it's like it's a, the, the archaeology of the mundane in a way, or the of, of the just because. Mm-hmm. Like there's no rhyme or rhythm or not necessarily a ritualistic or any reasoning behind it. Just I liked it. Exactly. It's weird to be talking about the archaeology of the mundane in an episode where we claim to be talking about exotic animals. I mean, depending on what sort of time period or area, like it has seemed like a fairly commonplace thing. So I guess you're like, oh, oh, you got up a pet monkey. Oh, wow. Well, I've got 10. Yeah, it's it's weird because exotic pets in the past have this like weird type of contrast, I guess. I don't know if that's the right word for it, where you have all these uh, species that haven't really traveled a- across like the way that they are now. So a lot of them are extremely novel and, you know, quote unquote exotic, but you also don't have the kind of like enforcement against these exotic pet trades. So it's kind of just like anyone's game as well. Pretty much. I mean, if I like saw a giraffe for the first time, I would a hundred percent bring it back if I could, you know? I'm just trying to imagine you like trying to wrangle a giraffe onto like a boat or something. Like, how could you get a giraffe, like, to go with you? You clothesline it real hard. (laughs) (laughs) We're not here for animal cruelty, honestly. I was going to say you lure it with a very attractive sort of leafed branch. (laughs) (laughs) You you pick off leaves and you put it down in a a trail that leads to the ship. (laughs) You hope for the best. On behalf of everyone at the Archeo Animals podcast and the Archaeology Podcast Network, we would like to apologize to our giraffe listeners for any brutality talked about in this episode. Alex? Yeah, I'm on my way to alienate every single non-human listener to the podcast, and it's fine. First it was the fish. How would they even listen to it? Were they like how long would that cord have to be if you're listening to it with like a wi- like oh, a wired no alex come on they would have giraffes to- use bluetooth come on okay but like do think about the idea of a giraffe with like earphones <laughs> in and it's got this is like that image is like would a giraffe wear his tie like this or like this <laughs> i mean these are the things that zoo archaeologists are afraid to talk about but we're not here on the archaeological <laughs> I don't think we should be talking about this. (laughs) That's what they don't want you to know. (laughs) How giraffes wear headphones. Would a hippopotamus wear a pair of pants like like long ways or like... (laughs) (laughs) No, no, come on. Hippos wear PVC. Come on, like... How else do they, like, like jeans will get too soggy. PVC, but that, that's not breathable at all. No, you got holes. You got holes in the face for, like, just the eyes and the nose and the mouth, but you got holes in it. How <laughs> 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 uh, oh, Simona, don't look, don't look for logic in this conversation. It's gone. Uh, do you not fancy a tiger, Alex? Uh, you know, I guess I'm no Joe Exotic, but... Uh, We said it, we said it, right, that's ticked off, okay. Do you know that was the start of lockdown? Oh my gosh. (laughs) I'm not even joking, that was the start of this year. Oh my gosh. (laughs) That feels a lifetime ago. I've truly embodied the image of Robin Williams in Jumanji when he comes out of the game and he's like dressed in like, leaves and stuff and he's going what year is it that's me now for all you jumanji heads out there but where would you wear your headphones
we'll talk about Joe Exotic a little bit more like later, I think, or at least attempt to because (laughs) uh, because some of us, you know, the two hosts of this podcast have not watched that series. Yeah, who who needs to stay topical? We're archaeologists. It's like the least important thing for us. What were we talking about? Oh, exotic pets. Examples of exotic pets. That's the one. And how they would wear headphones. Of course. So how would an ornamental fish wear headphones? Well, I mean, that's actually an example anyway, which is actually funny because when I was like thinking about this episode and we were talking about it, completely forgot about fish. <laughs> like, just didn't even like track the idea of fish being an exotic species anywhere. <laughs> In a way, it still is a thing with ornamental fish. Because if you look at sort of freshwater aquarium fish, like a lot of the species are from South America. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, one of the most popular so outdoor pond fish is the koi carp. Oh, yeah, yeah. But it's like probably one of the early, ornamental fish in general are apparently one of the earliest examples of exotic pets. They're seen as early as the Song Dynasty in China, which is pretty amazing and interesting. And also explains why my, my gong gong, my Chinese grandfather, used to own a lot of ornamental fish when I was younger. I like it. There's a lot of ornamental chicken breeds that originate from China. There's some from quite far back. So like the, the Peking banter, I think the silky is originally from China. I'm not too well versed in it, but it's sort of very sort of showy ornamental chicken wear a status thing. Somehow, I, I don't know how to explain it in words, but as someone who is Chinese, that tracks. <laughs> like just the idea of like having ornamental animals in general tracks all my other chinese listeners know what i'm talking about i think the thing that i thought about most of all when we're talking about exotic species was birds and i maybe it's because i had egypt on the mind but exotic birds were probably kept in egypt as pets since 4000 bc according to records although the exotic bird trade really doesn't start off until open water sailing. Another example that I didn't think about until doing research is ferrets, which apparently were kept in captivity as early as 350 BC, but were only brought over as working animals to the US during the 1700s. And maybe it's just because I don't know much about ferrets. <laughs> that was a shock. Although like, wouldn't ferrets technically be a, a domesticated polecat? I guess. I don't know anything about ferrets, so... <laughs> I've not encountered many ferrets. In my experience, they, they're a bit bitey for, for me. I didn't know anyone who owned a ferret when I was a kid, I think, because everyone was like, oh, they, they smell too much, so no one wanted to keep them. Because yeah, I think they're not, like, a, they are a fairly popular pet, but I think was not as popular, sort of like, you know, your main cat, dog, rabbit sort of thing. I think they're still sort of... I think extensively used as working animals, they get used for hunting. Yeah, which is something I actually really didn't know. I just know ferrets is like the thing that like they chase around balls a lot uh, from YouTube videos. But how would a ferret wear headphones? In, in its ears, duh. Take a picture of more as wireless headphones, though. I think they're a bit more technological. Yeah, probably. Long story short, really, is just keeping exotic animal I don't like the term exotic no neither do I it's like the primitive breeds all over again yeah <laughs> you need better terminology folks all right let's get working on that it's a trend that is seen throughout time periods because even going back to birds I mean exotic birds kept in ancient Egypt but to be fair like he like 
even in present day, you have pet sort of, uh, well, parrots especially, so like, you know, parakeets or African greys, macaws, that are definitely not from here. Mm-hmm. But they are kept as pets. Yeah, and then you even get to, I guess, the weird kind of tipping point that we'll discuss in the next part of the episode, but menageries and like private collections and when does that actually just become a zoo as being examples of kind of exotic species in places that they wouldn't necessarily be in as early as 1204 AD when King John brought lions and leopards from Northwest Africa. And it became very en vogue to do that uh, in the 18th century. So I'm sure we'll have a little debate on what what the difference between a, a zoo and a, a private collection is. Oh. It's fine. We'll Sorry, fine. My, my brain hurts thinking about it. Sorry about that. <laughs> All right. We'll, we'll, we'll take, take a break. Yeah, we'll, we'll take yeah. a break. Well, my brain hurts a bit. Yeah. Chris Webster here for the Archaeology Podcast Network. We strive for high-quality interviews and content so you can find information on any topic in archaeology from around the world. One way we do that is by recording interviews with our hosts and guests located in many parts of the world all at once. We do that through the use of Zencaster. That's Z-E-N-C-A-S-T-R. Zencaster allows us to record high-quality audio with no stress on the guest. Just send them a link to click on, and that's it. Zencaster does the rest. They even do automatic transcriptions. Check out the link in the show notes for 30 off your first three months or go to zencastr.com and use the code animals pulling up to mickey d's just for drinks oh yeah that's me nothing extra just perfection and a straw coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block because there are drinks then there are drinks from mcdonald's Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. And we're back. Part two of uh, another episode of Archeo Animals. In this episode, we're talking about exotic species in the archaeological record. So it was once again trying to find a synonym for exotic. And so- it's not the greatest word, but it's also, it's one of those things, isn't it, that just becomes the established word, and I hate it, but I also could not think of a different version of that word. We're going to talk about it in a, in a bit, but it's got really not great connotations, especially with ties to colonialism and stuff like that. I've just looked at the thesaurus dictionary. So we have foreign, non-native, not not foreign, imported, introduced, unnaturalized, and then like tropical, nope. Alien, also nope. I guess imported. Or just... Because again, introduced would imply that you're introducing a population of the species, not um, legionnaire Claudius found a lion and thought, why not, and brought him back to his villa. Because, yeah, and imported, I think, has more of a connotation of like, 
this is my, this is like my thing. This is that I'm bringing over, like objectifying it, which I guess isn't great either, but it probably gets the vibe across. Yeah. But I guess also in that particular context, or in certain particular context, I guess that was the point because you're sort of objectifying what you were bringing across because you look what I've got sort of yeah. thing. So I guess that was the intent. It's not nice, but mm-hmm. it, to put it mildly. Anyway, well, we'll make do, I guess. But yeah, we are talking about, technically we're talking about exotic species, but we're mostly talking about exotic pets because that's fun. And I guess... It, this is probably the best time to start talking about how do they even get into the archaeological record. As we said with the examples from the previous part, some of these animals traveled a heck of a long way to get to these places. And I think that's where we, again, hit those similarities between what we discussed in our invasive species episode, except these species were more <laughs> intentionally brought over for some reason. Other than food. Yes, other than food, of course. Do you think they were like brought two over? Because they're like, well, we got to eat one, and then we got to bring the other one over. I mean, more than likely. Because like, if I had just seen a giraffe for the first time, oh, I'd be my first thought would be like, that's so cool. We need to bring it back with us. My second thought would be, is that taste good? And then my third thought would be, how would they listen to a podcast? Frankly, I am appalled. That that was not your first thought. Have you eaten today? There's no point in me answering that question. We all know the answer. And it's no, I will never eat before a podcast. What's the answer, dear listener? What is the answer? Let's all say together. No. Oh, God. This is the professional host that you've come to love on the Archeonables podcast. Well, we're not the hosts you need, but we're the hosts you deserve. (laughs) That's really rude. (laughs) <laughs> Once again, Simona knocking it out of the park. I am oh, I love that. I love when the real Simona appears. <laughs> Dave Ruth over here, just knocking it out of the park. My gosh, that's all right. You, you've alienated all the the non-human listeners. I've just alienated the humans. <laughs> Together, we will make it so this podcast is unlistenable. Wasn't that already? <laughs> that's true. Yeah, what are we talking about? Again? Oh, how, how how did they get here? We were just talking about that the word exotic isn't great to begin with. But you obviously, there's a very important tie between the idea of exotic pets and colonization and that increasing as we get longer transportation across the ocean. So I guess looking at, you know, okay, we, we have exotic pets or exotic species in the zooarchaeological record. What does that mean? tell us as archaeologists and i think the first thing immediately other than wow that's cool is you know wow look at this look at look at how much like miles they've traveled you know with the breadth of the trade routes which is interesting for sure yeah but it gives you an idea of sort of what the trade routes were and how far could certain populations reach exactly although not necessarily because they could have traded yeah sort of halfway and i guess and that also uh, inherently implies, you know, how big the breadth of like communication was across space. Because yeah, maybe it wasn't necessarily that long of a trade route. Maybe they met, they met halfway at a trading post or whatever. 
but you also get to see kind of like who are they communicating with? What were the, the cultures that were interacting with each other? It's like the when I was still doing Viking Age archaeology, it was like the thing I really enjoyed the most was looking at the trade between the, the East and Viking settlements. It's, it's just really cool. <laughs> I don't know where he's going with that. Yeah, because I think you do find sort of Viking Age artifacts in Scandinavia that have really come from a long way away. Yeah, it's really impressive and cool when you see it. I mean, like uh, the trade between the Vikings and the Byzantine Empire and things like that. It's it's so cool because I think it just gives you like, it expands your mind. Like it's a real galaxy brain moment to use the youth lingo. Just being like, oh, like I think we kind of just internally think of like the Vikings were Vikings, they stayed here. And, you know, the ancient Egyptians stayed in Egypt or whatever. When actually, you know, they they had their influence and their communication stretched way bigger than what you'd imagine. Yeah, it's it's fascinating. Yeah. <laughs> this episode has become like half not half, like a third of us actually talking about exotic pets. And then a third of us talking about what animals would wear jeans in what way and how they would listen to podcasts. And then another third is just us kind of talking about what the things we like most about archaeology from what I realized. But yeah, which I guess brings us somehow to the question, <laughs> why? Which I guess I kind of answered, which is why not? <laughs> yeah, a lot of it is a why not. Well, some, as you suggested, may have actually been for food stuff, saying, "Oh, I found this thing. What's this thing? A camel. Good. I'm gonna, I'm gonna bring him back and I'm gonna eat it." <laughs> they would use them for performance. Again, like I think monkeys are a prime example in the Roman period. They would be used for performance. There's even evidence of exotic animals being used as working animals, as in literally like draft, draft, is that the term? Yeah, draft animals. Yeah. Elephants. So there's some evidence of elephants being used for draft in the Roman period. Which is wild, although I guess they are just giant bulldozing machines of the natural world. But of course, (laughs) I think on par with a just because, the main reason... Why won't you pay attention to me, Savannah? And my good thoughts. <laughs> I, I, I shall not answer that. <laughs> but I think on par with just because, I think the, the big reason, which I think often intersects, is status. Oh, yeah. Like, please glance upon all these animals that I have collected and I am now keeping in narrow cages. <laughs> I am so powerful. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, again, it's that thing of, like, humans are going to human. It's the same reason why a lot of exotic pets are often illegally bought today. And I think this is where I'm going to go into my tangent about exotic pets today, because, okay, I found out some wild stuff. And yes, there's a drinking game for this podcast where every time I say wild, you can drink. Leave me alone. I, I <laughs> My brain can only handle so many words at a, at a moment. There's private ownership of exotic animals is still permitted in a handful of states. And like, I went through this whole rabbit hole of looking at different legislation for exotic animals in the United States. And I mean, I guess I don't know why I didn't expect that it was going to be really weird and out there. But like in some states, you have to have a license to own a dog, but you can just 
by a baboon or a lion and without any anything. That must be like some serious loophole. <laughs> yeah, and it's like it's just it's bizarre to me. It there's probably like a whole thing that we could go into and we will because one of the things I remember from my hometown growing up was that someone got arrested for owning a boa constrictor and a alligator in their house. As you do. I mean, Long Island, baby, you know, we, we like to party. So if, if if you're someone who watched the, the Netflix series Tiger King, feel free to, you know, imagine what we would talk about and connect with that. But neither. If we had watched it. If we had watched it. Also, that was the weirdest thing. So I was thinking about like, oh, man, if we had watched Tiger King, we'd probably have a lot more to talk about and like draw conclusions from like modern day to the past. And then I realized one of the articles I was reading <laughs> to do research had a quote from Carol Baskin, who is a person. Carol who- Baskin. Yeah, exactly. And was that you have wild? to say it the right way. I- I'm not going to swear on the podcast, but you guys can fill it in. You know, everyone probably did. I've not watched him. Watched yeah, it. Yeah, no did. idea um, the reference. I know Carol Baskin in terms of like who she is, and that's about it. And that she's just recently signed on to be on Dancing with the Stars. But no, what? Oh, yeah, God. Uh, the competition better watch out. You know, she's known to. Uh, I don't want her to slay on the ice as well. You know. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Although I think we should draw a line because with exotic pets, it includes a variety of non-native species. So, of course, while some you know are a lot more commonplace to say, you know, that there's many, many people have African grey parrots as pets. I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure there is paperwork that you need to have to keep one, but that's not quite a tiger. So I think also legislation varies because depending on the animal that you're acquiring and keeping as a pet. So there are, I think, I, I don't know what the legislation is because I have thus far, I thus far do not own any animal that isn't a domesticate. <laughs> and yeah, and I think that brings us into like kind of the last thing that I really thought about when we were discussing this episode, which is kind of what is the difference, archaeologically speaking, between what we consider a, a zoo, basically, and just exotic pets that are house pets, you know? I guess it depends what you mean by zoo. Look, I'll explain, because I think the way we view zoos has thankfully changed an awful lot over time. True. So yes. zoos have gone from just a place that showcases animals and you go look at the animals and tap on the window and annoy them in weird and wonderful creative ways. They've <laughs> gone more to almost a charity, not necessarily a charity, uh, but they've become places of conservation. So yes, the animals yeah. are there for, in a way, for your entertainment because you pay a ticket, you go to see them. The kids are enchanted and it's it's beautiful and it's magical. However, it's also there for a reason other than your entertainment because some serious conservation work is being done to, you know, make the plight of some species known, to, but not just raising awareness, but actually doing something to preserve these animals. Yeah, and I wonder if maybe this is a really cynical reading of... The, the change in zoos but if that was just like you know now we have we this is the reason why zoosney exists instead of just being like look at all the the weird stuff we got it's now like oh it's conservation and when, it is true obviously there there are animals that can't be re-released into the wild so but it's interesting to note how like modern the modern day zoo is now like 
conservation is the forefront. Everything is about educating the general public about conservation and about, you know, all that but stuff. I find that a lot of it has changed in the way that dis- displays, for lack of a better word, are made because it seems a lot of different, a lot different from what I remember from my childhood. Like the, they seem to have sort of proper, or at least the zoos I've been to, proper sort of fully fledged habitats where if the animal cannot even that day, cannot be bothered to put up with visitors, they can just hide for the entire day and that's okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which wasn't necessarily a thing that was the case before or not across the board anyway. And I've seen a lot more sort of talk, talks being given on the species and the species in the natural habitat and the conservation status. Like it, it seems to be a, definitely a change for the better. Yeah, for sure. Although I will say, if you go to the United States, let me tell you, you will find some of those bare kind of exhibits where it's just a chain link fence. Let me tell you. Well, uh. you know, what's actually funny is that there's like, I don't know if it's a recent thing, but there, I see more of these wildlife sanctuaries in the United States where they're specifically, they're like smaller zoos, but they're specifically animals that have been rescued from being illegally owned by others. So that's like a new subset that's kind of popped up because of the exotic pet trade, which is really interesting and strange and weird, I guess. Yeah, but I guess it's something good coming out of the bad. Yeah, that makes sense because a lot of sort of these charities are like they they rehome the animals and they give them sort of as much to a, a real sort of wild experience as they feasibly can, of course, being much removed from what their natural habitat would be. Mm, yeah, they get a fun tire swing and big boxes because I've seen some sort of wildlife sanctuaries with big cats and they get like big cardboard boxes. I do love those videos, acting just like big kitty cats. If they fit, they fit. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Felines much like humans. <laughs> I mean, if if I fit, I fit. Let's be real. Oh, me too. I am a champion of just sitting wherever I can fit. Specifically in archaeological trenches. Uh, the amount of uh, archaeological trenches that I've just sat down and not moved for hours is many. <laughs> anyway, let's take a break and we will be back with our case studies. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. It's case study time, folks. Everyone's favorite part of the podcast. Probably. Uh, yeah, I hope so. I like doing them, to be honest. And we actually have like a fair bit to talk about. We actually only have two, two case studies, but you know, 
there's a lot, especially the second case study, which I'm sure you will just go wild on because <laughs> it's wrong. Maybe. <laughs> Couldn't possibly comment. I, yeah. All right. Well, let's well, let's get to it, and then we'll get you to Rome as soon as possible. So the, the first one that I wanted to talk about is one we actually kind of mentioned earlier in the episode that they're, they're exotic pets in ancient Egypt. So kind of probably like the most famous example of finding exotic species in uh, archaeological context is the uh, I'm trying to remember how to pronounce this. Well, the cemetery. Yeah. Hieracompolis. I think so. I used to be a classical archaeologist. I don't know what happened to me. There at the cemetery in Egypt from 5,000 years ago, archaeologists found skeletons like baboons, leopards, elephants, crocodiles found in the cemetery. And so the interpretation of that has been, you know, it's either the exotic pets or even the personal zoo of wealthy owners that I guess were sacrificed once the owners died which I believe is par for the courts from what I remember being uh, doing Egypt Egyptian archaeology. Yeah, I guess wouldn't some get sold as souvenirs as well? So they're mummified. It was definitely a case with mummified cats, but they would actually get sold by temples to pilgrims. <laughs> it's like, yeah, would you like a yeah, mummified yeah. cat to remind you of your wonderful journey? I mean, who among us? I would buy a mummified cat. But yes, I guess what's interesting about some of these animals that were found in the cemetery, they were rife with pathology, unless I'm mistaken. Yeah, so the interpretation for that has been, you know, there are all these injuries probably indicate that they were either mistreated or poorly handled. Again, kind of what we were talking about with the idea of exotic pets and how not great it is. This case study is pretty good because it, it hits on a couple of things we already talked about in terms of, you know, why were they kept? It was probably kept for the symbolism of the animal and the kind of status that the, that symbolism would kind of, you know, imply. So for example, having a hippo represented strength. So of course, whoever owns said hippo would be seen as a very strong person. And it's probably one of the earliest examples of a collection of uh, exotic pets, to my knowledge. But I wouldn't be surprised to see that the exotic pet trade was much older than that, to be honest. And I guess one thing sort of with uh, sort of exotic animals in ancient Egypt as well is that certain animals are, of course, associated with certain gods. Mm-hmm. So, of course, yeah. like uh, sacrificing a certain animal was to please a particular god. Or I guess you could even have some. Yeah, exotic animal in your home, uh, but put it under the guise like, oh, no, I'm not trying to show off. This is my own way of showing reverence to so-and-so God. Maybe. I mean, do you think, I feel like that probably track nowadays. Yeah, it's like, no, it's, it's, it's religious. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this giraffe is religious. Why does it have headphones on? I'm not, it, it's religious, I'm sorry. Shall we, shall we go to Rome? Yes, let's go to Rome. Let, let, let's let let you go. Do your own thing. You do you, Savona. I mean, at this stage, and probably even well before you listen to this podcast, you might have been aware of the fact that the Romans get a lot of weird and wonderful animals because they could. <laughs> I mean, some were kept as uh, just really precious pets. Some, as I said, like uh, monkeys come to mind, were kept to perform. But again, mainly for status, like, oh, look, uh, me, Augustus, manly man, look at all the lions I own. 
Wow, amazing. The animals would also be used for public hunts, known as venationes, also executions by beasts, the damnatio ad bestias, which uh, was the one of the Roman ideas of a fun time. So if someone got <laughs> sentenced to death, they would be killed by hunters and or other animals in combat. Yeah, and I want to emphasize that it's if an animal was sentenced to death. <laughs> like, that is wild. Like, obviously, so you have these executions by beasts, so that is if a person, you know, is sentenced to death. But there was also animals could be sentenced to death as well. <laughs> He wore his headphones the wrong way round. What are headphones? <laughs> I don't know. Spoiler. Because <laughs> another main use of a certain exotic species by the Romans was, of course, warfare. So I guess everyone's well acquainted with elephants being used as mm-hmm. war animals. Pigs, although not an exotic animal, also extensively used in warfare. Because other examples of animals kept, you know, ranging from leopards to elephants, bears and lions, about which actually, especially if you're dealing with lions, there is some incredibly helpful advice by our good old friend Pliny the Elder. (laughs) So say like, you know, have you got a raging lion that won't calm down? Easy. Throw a cloak over its head. Sorted as calm as a kitty cat. Yeah, I was going to say, this case study has a lot, I think, of us reading advice. Because some of it is amazing. (laughs) I feel like Blind is just a great go-to source for just work. (laughs) Oh, he rules so much, honestly. I mean, there was like also that enchanting story by Pliny telling you about that copy of the Iliad on parchment so small it fit in a nutshell. I mean, wow. Yeah, Pliny was me in middle school trying to make friends by telling the, the weirdest stuff possible. It's just like Pliny is just like my aspiration for when I grow up. You, you heard it, right? When I grow up. <laughs> just like travel the world. And well, to be fair, you're not Simona the Elder yet. I'm the first of my name. Mm, okay. I guess within my family context, I am the eldest of the Simona. <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I, when I grow up, I want to be Pliny. I want to travel around the world and complain about stuff. Oh, I've been to this place. It's awful. <laughs> well, I already do. <laughs> I'm already Pliny, to be honest. Going back to actual... Archaeological examples. (laughs) A good representation of exotic animals in Rome, as in the land of the Romans, not uh, Rome the city in itself, is found in the mosaics of a Roman villa in Piazza Armerina in Sicily. I think I might have mentioned it before, but it's it's this Roman villa that is renowned for its just beautiful sort of mosaic floors. Mm -hmm. And so each room sort of depicts different scenes. And there's uh, one in a room. And the mosaic is called the Great Hunt. And it showcases, for instance, how elephants were captured and transported from Africa. So in a way, that sort of leads you to think that showing off the capture, so the amount of money and resources you could throw into capturing this elephant was almost as important as actually owning the elephant. Yeah, it's it's all about status again. Just the whole, like, not only do I own this creature this is how I got it. And I I love how extra that is to be like, not only am I going to flaunt the fact that I have a lion, I'm also going to flaunt the fact that it 
took a lot of effort and a lot of resources to catch this lion. And I'm also going to commission a mosaic to show all the effort I put into catching this lion. To show off how how great I am for depriving this animal of its natural habitat. Well, we'll see. I mean, in some ways, you have to respect that vibe of just wanting to show off. Like, I kind of wish I had that level of self-confidence sometimes. Yeah, I guess you should have (laughs) shared that around a little bit. But yes, uh, as you might have expected, uh, figured out by this point, uh, animals were frequently sourced from Africa, the eastern parts of the Roman Empire. They would be kept in enclosures called vivaria. The vivaria specifically would normally either be municipality or state-owned, but of course privately owned animals were also a thing. But then the vivaria, I don't know if you had a vivaria for elephants, for example, then those could be drawn upon for warfare. So it would be a vivaria that supplied them. And of course, the means of capturing these animals were, it's not pretty, is a bit of an understatement. Yeah, okay, so we'll, we'll return to our friend Pliny once again, who wrote this about capturing elephants in Africa. He wrote, men on horseback would chase the elephants into pits, where the animals would be left without food or water until they were physically depleted enough to be transported without too much trouble. Which is great. <laughs> Easy done. Yeah. I mean, it's still not as bad as how you'd lure a giraffe onto a boat. I said all I was going to do was close, like, line it, you know? <laughs> like, to get a running start, I'd probably have to jump to reach the neck properly. And just, you know, wrestlers do it all the time. It'll be fine. No, we also got some great stuff uh, from Armenia by Opian. And how the Romans would capture bears over there. So they, they would uh, they would identify the bear dens first, and then the hunters would drive out the animals with a cacophony of trumpets and cymbals, as you do. So, uh, yes. So because the bear would come out in the open, going like, "What? Seriously?" And the hunters would chase them into a hidden net that they previously set up. Yeah. <laughs> so then because they would uh, restrain the bear by tying its limbs to wooden planks. And at this point, with the bear safely restrained and presumably tired out, it would be loaded into a cage of oak and pine. Make sure like n- none of that birch stuff. Yeah. Oak and pine for transport. It's also the whole like the, the literal thing of like once they chased it into the net, it was the dangerous moment because at that moment there is greatly rage with jaws and terrible paws. Hashtag terrible paws. Hashtag terrible paws. Terrible chunky Hashtag... paws. Ugh, I was just about to say that. What about the jaws? Rage with jaws. I guess with chunky chunky jaws would probably be Raging uh, Ragey Jaws? It's Ragey word? Ragey? Mm, mm. Well, I was going to go with chonky jaws, but I realized that that might be more indicative of a pathological thing. Oh, chompy? Because they, they chomp. Chom- chompy. Mm. This is why we have you on this podcast. For these kind of moments. Yep, that, 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 that's what I learned <laughs> English for. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. On, on one hand, I have to say that these hunters were extremely brave to just kind of go up to a bear den and play trumpets and cymbals and chase it out into a net. But on the other hand, wow. And it's going to be non-PC, but where do you draw the line between brave and stupid in this instance? 
That is true. I guess, I mean, I guess they were paid pretty well. <laughs> if, if the person was also going to make a mosaic showing them catching said bear and also, you know, pay to get the bear. No, where you'll be like, oh no, I, I can't, I can't pay you to get the bear, but I'll give you exposure. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Oh my god. Ding ding ding. Well, there we that have it. That might be the funniest thing that's ever been said on this podcast. That is. I, I want that on a t shirt. <laughs> uh, can someone draw like, like a mosaic <laughs> and then have that on the bottom? It's <laughs> amazing. Once again, Simona takes the crown. Oh. It's the thing of humans always being humans. There clearly was definitely people in ancient Rome who were like, I'll pay you for the exposure. <laughs> Is someone crying? <laughs> <laughs> I, said, well, I, I said exposure, I didn't specify. Okay, of course meant exposure to the elements. <laughs> While you're catching the bear. We, we, are, we are talking about bears, aren't we? Yes. Exposure, bear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow, you really ruined that, huh? Shut up. <laughs> I'm still funny, okay? <laughs> Uh, just hashtag I'm still funny <laughs> hashtag still funny uh, this episode hasn't given me room for a pun yet so yeah I'm shocked to be honest you know what there's just there's I don't want to take Simona's thunder yeah 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 is it or is it because you couldn't think of one like have you been ruminating this whole time I've been making notes oh gosh do you have, like, notes for every episode that's just, like, your pun files? Yeah, well, I, I, I listen back to some of the episodes from my best ones. <laughs> Is that going to be, like, a super cut? Should put a bonus content for the show, Tristan's puns. I mean, is that really <sighs> bonus said- content for anyone? <laughs> Is that like the opposite of bonus content? <laughs> Do you know if you if, if you're not careful, I'll put together all the times Alex groans when I make a pun. You know, like a complete supercut of uh oh. Yeah, it's no, just I just oh. become Tina from Bob's Burgers. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll make that into their ringtone, and I'll give you a, a solid high five when we're allowed to again. I don't know. See exposure all the way down. <laughs> Yeah. To be fair, I am a broke PhD student. All I have to give is exposure these days. Anyway, I think that's it. <laughs> I think I think I think we're all out of it. Uh, I, th- I think I think it better be it at this stage. Yeah. Well, that was another episode of Archie Animals. As always, you can find us wherever you get your podcasts. Recommend us. Like us, review us. I don't know what else I say at the end of these episodes anymore. We're on Twitter, at ArcheoAnimals. Tell us all of the fun Tiger King jokes we could have made in this episode that we didn't because neither of us have actually watched that series. And of course, if you have any hate mail, send that to Tristan's personal account. Yep, send it to Tristan. Every time. <laughs> I actually, I still, I'm still very, very, like, I still have not received any hate mail. So I assume from that people absolutely love the show. Oh, I'm collecting it. I'm, I'm going to get it bound totally. and send it to you. It'll be a textbook. Oh, brilliant. But it's just written by me, so it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, wow. That was a, that's a burn. That's a burn and a half. <laughs> So where can people find 
more of this wonderful content. You can find it at the Archaeology Podcast Network.com. We're a .com, right? And we go yes, also we've always it. been .com. I don't know. Uh, you can find us wherever you download your podcasts. iTunes, the Googles. What else is there? Spotify. I don't know. <laughs> wherever you get your podcasts from. If you get it from a person on the corner of your street, I'm sure they can give you a copy of Archaeomanimals from Live Journal. <laughs> and you can find our hosts on Twitter as well if you want to bother them there or send us suggestions. How can the show even has a Twitter, doesn't it? I said the show Twitter. What is the show Twitter? It's at Archaeomanimals, isn't it? Yeah. It's Archaeomanimals within the. A-E-Q-Animal. Oh, yes, yes. The proper spelling. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Archeo Animals. Please subscribe and rate the podcast wherever you get your podcast from. You can find us on Twitter at Archeo Animals. Also, the views expressed on the podcast are those of ourselves, the hosts and guests, and do not necessarily represent those of our institution, employers, and the Archaeology Podcast Network. Thanks for listening. This show is produced and recorded by the Archaeology Podcast Network, Chris Webster and Tristan Boyle, in Reno, Nevada, at the Reno Collective. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archpodnet.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. Thanks again for listening to this episode and for supporting the Archaeology Podcast Network. If you want these shows to keep going, consider becoming a member for just $7.99 US dollars a month. That's cheaper than a venti quad eggnog latte. Go to archpodnet.com slash members for more. You've worked hard for what you have. Your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com aware. Terms apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Fro.